I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book 32, Christy and the Secret of Susan. This will, of course, be a psychology-heavy episode, so we figured doubling up on clinical psychologists would be a good idea. So I'm very honored to welcome my colleague, Dr. Whitney Enns. Whitney Enns. Yay! Oh, sorry. Yeah. You forgot, yeah, you pause. forgot to pause yay. for yay. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Whitney's an associate professor at the University of California, San Francisco, and the clinical director of the UCSF Center for Autism Spectrum Disorders and Neurodevelopmental Disorders, and is a board-certified behavior analyst. Um, she's also just a lovely colleague, and she likes the BSC. So welcome, Whitney. Welcome. Welcome. Great. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, Whitney, so we begin every episode with a one-sentence summary. I don't know if you have one prepared for us, uh, but I, I say we get right into it. So we're going to, since we have so much to do, shall I start? Mm-hmm. Great. Mine is not the right one to go first, <laughs> but okay. I'll do it. Do you want me no, to go I'm going to do it anyway. We have to, we have okay. to stay true to the script. Okay. Uh, my one sentence summary is some future hot Aussies move to Bradford court and apparently all the kids who are not BSC sitting charges are jerks. Fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mine is a little more about the A plot. <laughs> um, an outdated book that made impressive strides toward inclusion and demonstrates how much Anna Martin loves Christy. Okay. Anna Martin loves Christy or you love Christy? Both. Very obviously both. <laughs> so uh, mine also veers towards the B-plot. So I'm glad there are two clinical psychologists here today. Yeah, that's really lucky uh, for us, Anne. <laughs> yeah. Um, mine is Mallory gets her period, question mark. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> nice. Ooh. Mic drop. Sorry, you have to follow that. <laughs> That's okay. Mine's just a lot shorter. Um, so I wrote uh, Christie's Crusade for Inclusion and Acceptance. Nice. Yeah. That's very, very nice. Accurate. Not really quite the full summary of it, but you know, yeah, I think new, you new title. The thematic summary. <laughs> yeah. All right. We should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. I'm Anna Chapala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. And I'm Whitney Entz. I'm a child psychologist. I'm an avid backpacker and a master planner. Ooh, master planner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lots of Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, yeah, Very nice. That's like a Marianne Christie hybrid, I feel. It is. But, or Marianne Stacy. Mm. Once, once you got the spreadsheets, I feel like that veers into Stacy character. True, true. Fascinating. (laughs) Okay, so if you guys want to learn more about us and how we know each other, you can check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. So before we get into the book, let's talk about you, Whitney. (laughs) We want to learn about you. So first, let's start off with the obvious. Um, tell us about when you started reading the Babysitter's Club books and what made you fall in love with them. 
So I was thinking about it. I believe I was probably in elementary school, middle school when I first started reading them. Um, and I loved, I loved the books, uh, really the relationships between the, the women and then just babysitting and working with kids. I loved working with kids, um, or like not at that point, but I think it probably influenced me later on, um, with working with kids. Um, and so I just really liked their, their story and like getting all together and like the relating to the phone line being clogged and just that, that whole idea of it. And then I guess what happened, it was more the babysitters club influenced me. I think like later, like in high school, Mm -hmm. more so than when I was reading it. Cause when I started babysitting, I'm like, well, I have to have a kid kit. I have to bring toys Mm -hmm. and other things. (laughs) And so um, I remember I'd have houses that I would go to and I'd like find different, different games and like art activities because I really didn't want for whatever reason, I didn't want to just sit there with the kids while they watch TV. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of took that. And then it was interesting because then the kids liked me so much that I basically took my friends' babysitting jobs away from them. <laughs> <laughs> Which I felt really badly about, but then they kept, those families kept calling me. So I think the babysitters club just really influenced what I did when I was a babysitter in you, high school. You offered a better product, Whitney. You can't find Right. That. Yeah. That's true. I, so far, our guests are all pretty neatly either full babysitters club members or the shitty babysitters from the rival club, which was, I guess, really yeah. only Melissa. <laughs> Yeah, our first guest ever was like, I just, why did they not want to just watch television? That's what I mean. She was like, look. Melissa said, yeah, she would like watch TV all day and then make them run around outside. Like right before the the parents get home. So so they would be sweaty and it would look like they spent a bunch of time outside. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So Whitney would, Chrissy would hire Whitney. She would be a legitimate addition to the club. Mm-hmm. So speaking of your babysitting skills, which which babysitter did you most identify with? And also, like, what was your babysitting style? Mm. So the I, I'm so bad at picking just like one character. <laughs> you talked earlier about hybrids. And so I was mm-hmm. thinking about this a lot. I'm like, well, I'm part Christy because I like to lead and um, in when I was in high school, found myself in like leadership positions, like in like Girl Scouts and National Charity League, I was a president. And um, so I relate to Christy on that, but not with her sports and tomboy attitude. Um, and so then I also found myself like a blend with Marianne, where um, emotional, a listener, have lots of feelings. Um, so I kind of found a blend with that. And then a bit of um, Claudia's Sweet Tooth. I loved uh, sweets. And as a dancer, I like hid all the Trader Joe's meringues that I wanted to eat all the time. So <laughs> that, like in my car, lots of candy because <laughs> I was obsessed. Nice. Yeah. So you have to have a little Jesse too, then as a dancer. Yes. And then, yeah. so now it's, it was two and now I've blended into four yeah. characters. Yeah. So that's a bit of Jesse. <laughs> yeah. It seems like but, the Christy Marianne combo is a right combo to becoming a psychologist. Yeah. Yes. I think it's a child psychologist combo for sure. I yes. think there's a lot of us. I think yes. looking at our looking at members of both of our teams at UCSF, I think mm-hmm. we can see a lot of Christy Marianne combos for sure. Right. So, and then I forgot your other question. How was I as a babysitter? Yeah. Active, <laughs> I would say. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an active babysitter, uh, played with the kids and brought, you know, brought all the toys and tried to get them to play outside um, and be engaged and cleaned up the house after, just took care of everything that needed to be taken care of, washed the dishes. I mean, cleaning the house Um, at your babysitting charges place is a very Dawn energy. Uh, I don't know if you have any Dawn identifiers Well, and you mentioned backpacking (laughs) in in your descriptor, so I feel like that is a very Dawn energy. Mm -hmm. Dawn's also organized. That's true. Mm-hmm. Right. True. Whitney has a, an okay. eighth of all of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they really influenced who I am today. Every single, yeah. I just took all my favorite parts combined. Do you parts. remember, did you have like a, like a, did you make a kid kit? Like, did you like design it so, or was it? So I didn't design, I don't think I was thinking about that this morning. I didn't do what they did. It was just like a big bag. And then I would rotate the things each week. Mm-hmm. And I just remember this book that I had that would teach kids how to like make different types of monsters and so it was like drawing like different types of craft activities and different games and they were always really excited when I would bring new things well you yeah. would have you definitely Chrissy would have invited you to be in the club for sure yeah she would have she would have kicked out kick out Logan yeah <laughs> right get in get Whitney in there yeah um can we talk about how Christy praises Logan in this book I was very disappointed in that oh <laughs> that's that's what you're gonna that's what you're gonna center i didn't even put it in my section notes honestly but she goes this whole paragraph where she's like logan really gets marianne and understands what she needs i'm like what in what world yeah yeah anyway moving on yeah well (laughs) that's why we want to replace him with Whitney. yes (laughs) yes (laughs) easily and then before we get into the book i want to ask you just about how you chose your field of study and how you became interested in studying autism um, as a a specialty, because it seems pretty specific. Yeah. So that's a really good question. So I, um, I was a can't, so theme of working with kids is kind of throughout my life. So in college, I was a camp counselor and in the group, we had a young a uh, girl who had at that time I wasn't quite sure, um, but I think she had global. Now looking back on it, she had global developmental delay, intellectual disability, and she had a shadow paraprofessional working with her. And so it was really they were trying to include her in the group, and I loved um, seeing the other kids interact with the this. I think it was kindergarten age group, so it was like five years old. So we really focused on like getting that the little girl included. And so I loved um, seeing that. And really at the end of the summer, the paraprofessional who was working with her had given um, me her business card and then the psychologist's business card that she was working with and said, I think you'd be really good working with this type of population. Here's my card. Here's my boss's card. You should reach out to us um, at some point. And so throughout college, um, I continued to work uh, with kids. At, I worked at a non-public school for kids with ADHD and other emotional disturbances as a teacher's aide. And then I took a year off in between um, college and graduate school and contacted that psychologist and was actually a pair, like got paired up with her. And she hired me out essentially to work one-on-one with her clients. And so many of the kids I worked with over that year had autism and I was going into preschools and helping 
the kids interact with one another. And I was developing like social facilitation strategies. I was just making things up essentially, like <laughs> based on what I thought we should do. And I was kind of like Christy was doing. Yeah, kind of like yeah. Christy was doing and reading on my own about what we should do to help uh, facilitate um, social skills. And so I loved seeing the growth in the children that I worked with over that time. And looking back on it now, I, uh, when I was applying to college graduate school, um, it was either like ADHD, working with kids with ADHD or autism, but there was something for me that was really fascinating um, in a different way, just about how every single child I worked with was so unique and um, able to see their growth. And then personally, I didn't start talking until I was three. And so there was something really special about being able to work with kids, getting them to communicate more, having parents learn the skills. And so I think there was something about that that resonated um, with me as well. And so that's kind of what led me to that path. I had first thought I was going to be a teacher back in college and do special education, but then I wanted to kind of do something beyond that. And I found my way into child psychology and specifically autism, but I just loved kids and uh, found developmental disabilities fascinating. It's a long-winded answer. (laughs) I mean, now I just told that about my dog. (laughs) So... That's that's mostly what Whitney and I do. Just make other people feel ashamed for their jobs. Yeah. Um, that's great. I love hearing that backstory. And it's kind of reminding me of Christy at the end of the book talks about how she thinks that she was gonna go into this become mm-hmm. a teacher, right? Right. So sort of like the same inspiration in a way. hmm mm-hmm. Before we get into Esme's corner, um, just for me and also all of our listeners out there, can you give as someone who doesn't know what autism is, like, how would you explain it to them? Because as I was reading this book, it is, I was like, okay, like, I'm so familiar with the term. I kind of know what it is. But if I had to tell a younger child what this was, I would not know what to say or how to explain it to someone. Mm. So how to explain it to a child or just how to explain it? Just in general, just how to explain it um, in like a, in a in a general but you know true to what it is and not you know you know like I would we, we watched Rain Man this weekend and I right. before <laughs> you're talking about how that was that's what I thought autism was for like right. it was Rain Man and Christy and the Secret of Susan that's exactly. what we had in the late 80s <laughs> early 90s yep yeah. right it, yeah it's interesting I'm, I'll get to that but it's interesting how in media at that time, anybody that had autism also had savant type skills, Mm -hmm. which is extremely rare to begin with. So I thought that was really interesting that they had that, um, that that's kind of the prevailing notion and that went on even beyond the 90s. But um, how to describe autism, I think at its core, um, the best way to describe it is thinking of it as um, challenges with social communication. And, uh, and then they can also have other types of behaviors. And so I like to think of it as when I tell people, I say, think of it as the absence of skills of social communication skills, um, more so than the 
the presence of abnormal behavior. Because hmm. I think a lot of people are looking for the presence of abnormal things like the book talks about hand flapping and um, other repetitive types of behaviors. But the core deficit, the core challenge or vulnerability is social communication skills, um, which is a number of different things, but at its core, it's language. Um, and then non other types of nonverbal communication. So um, gestures, shaking your head, um, pointing, all types of things that go into that. And that a phrase that I think is often overused, but important is that if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism, that it's extremely mm -hmm. heterogeneous. It's not similar in, with anybody. And you have to really look at it individually across many different domains. So language skills, social skills, uh, intelligence, um, and then repetitive behaviors. And you put all of those together, and then that will help you understand the person more. But I, that was that's a way still also definition. a long answer. Yeah, no. <laughs> long answers are good. That was a really good definition that I've never heard explained to me before. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can push aside Rain Man. And this yeah. is now yes. Also, Whitney, place. we always make Esme explain things to us. We're like, what's a what's the difference between anxiety yeah. and social? I don't know. I forget now. I, I, yeah. Obviously, I pay a lot of right. attention when Esme talks. So. Yeah, it's, it's really. We have a great relationship. <laughs> um. Yeah, and they also had her like. I'll go into it, but they, they had her not have like have all of these skills really early on at two and a half. And then she just lost them. That's also extremely atypical in autism mm. too. So, yeah, I was going to ask you about, I was going to ask you about that too. I was pretty, as that was the main thing that I wrote down as a, as okay. It's not, I was like, wait, that's, that's pretty rare. Right. Like, right. I know it happens, but it's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We can talk about, sorry if I'm jumping yeah. ahead, but no, it's um, totally fine. Yeah. I mean, that's what I love about autism is just how different it is for everybody. Mm -hmm. And did you have a oh, question? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I... so obviously some of the terms in the book are quite outdated now. So when we're talking about this, what would we use instead? We would say, um, you know, I, I mean, I think the term, the way that you explained it was really useful, right? It's like a deficit of social communication. But are there other terms, explanatory mm -hmm. or descriptive terms that we could use to like replace ones that are in the book? Well, I mean, one that they used often in the book was, and it always makes me cringe, was retarded. Mm -hmm. So intellectual disability is the correct, is, is the way to say mm -hmm. that now. Um, and th they were really just tying that to down syndrome, which I found mm -hmm. interesting. <laughs> like that word was then associated with down syndrome. And then there are different stakeholders. So they, in the book, it says autistic people. Um, so there's the whole push for person first language, like an individual with autism. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's also individuals who identify as autism and want to be called autistic. They want that label first. And so it's really important to check in with the individual about what they want. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like that there was a big push in the 2000s that was like, everybody's an individual with autism, person first language. Um, but across now there's diagnoses, across was, diagnoses. You know, yeah. And now with say a autism, manic depressive, you know, exactly. You know, exactly. Somebody with bipolar disorder. Yeah. Right. And now I'm noticing there's different stakeholders that want to 
be identified as I'm autistic or autistic people or autistic mm-hmm. person. So it, that's something that I feel like has shifted. Yeah. Um, you, from, from having those conversations with, um, within diagnosis advocacy groups, mm-hmm. do you feel like I, to me, it's sort of there, it's analogous in some ways to, you know, when you're a part of the group, you get to decide, you know, yes. like black, black people can use the N word. I cannot. And I never, right. you know, there's not an appropriate situation. Whereas obviously if somebody asked me to refer to them a specific way, then I would, but it seems like if we're talking about autism in general, without talking about a specific person, the rule of thumb would be to say somebody with autism. Um, but unless you're interacting with somebody who says, no, please use this. I prefer this label. Yes. That's what, I, that's my go-to. I've seen it also in the community now, the other way too, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. Um, that's a newer thing, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I still go for what you just said. Mm-hmm. I'll let the other person decide. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the only, the only really outdated term in the book was retarded, right? Which mm-hmm. was, you know, we have to give Anne and Martin credit. That was the, you know, mental retardation was what it was called at the time. Exactly. So she wasn't trying to be mean. She was trying to be descriptive and accurate, but it just sounds really harsh in 2021 terms. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, let's, let's back up and talk a little bit about the plot of the book. So, um, Chris, this is another one. I feel like there's a series of these where one member of the babysitters club gets a special job, right? It starts with Jesse's secret language where she sits, sits for, Matt Braddock and learned sign language. And so this is another one where um, we meet Susan, um, who is home, Susan Felder, and she's been attending a special school um, to help her with her autism. And she's home for a month because the Felders are switching her to a different school that will support her musical savant abilities, which Susan can hear anything one time and have it perfectly memorized. Um, Again, very rare. Um, and so um, Mrs. Felder is with her 100% of the time, and she does have some pretty profound deficits. And so I'm sure, Whitney, you can talk a lot about the support that parents of children with autism need and um, mm-hmm. how much time it takes um, to really care for them adequately and, and caringly. And mm-hmm. so she asks the BSE if somebody could come a couple afternoons a week to just give her time to go to the grocery store or get her hair cut, things like that. And Christy is the one that ends up with the job. And then Christy kind of in her head becomes a crusader and is like upset at the Felders initially, like, well, you know, how she's supposed to know what it's like to be a quote unquote normal kid. And they do use quotes always around normal or average kid, which I appreciated. Um, and I don't think this was a time when we use the term neurotypical. I don't think that was something that was around in 1990. Um, and so Christy sort of thinks like, well, I'll show them that Susan can make friends and can can be here in Stony Brook and she can go to the special ed classroom at Stony Brook Elementary and things will be great. And then across the course of the book, she sort of discovers that um, some of Susan's deficits in social communication are really, really strong. And it's probably not necessarily the best thing for her to be in Stony Brook. Um, and I think we can have kind of big debates about that. Um, but that's sort of the main plot of this book. And I remember this book, mine is, is very beat up. Um, and I remember reading this a lot as a kid, um, being a kid that was also interested in kids, uh, in the way that Whitney talked about and, 
you know, my relationship to psychology, I didn't know I was interested in psychology until halfway through college, but I was always interested in psychology. Um, and I found autism really interesting when I was younger. I had just sort of a general interest in the history of psychology in undergrad. So um, this there's a lot of really disgusting old ideas that we've talked about a little bit on the show, Emily and Anne, of like where these things come from um, and, uh, you know, theories that have nothing to do with the actual causes of autism, which you can ask Whitney more about, but <laughs> chief among them being that refrigerator mothers created um, children with autism. So if you were cold, you would be, you know, you would make your child retreat into this internal world and not interact with others. And so I, I was sort of interested, Whitney, if you thought that in some ways, at least initially, Christy is sort of supporting this theory. She seems to have a lot, and, and, you know, I see Emily nodding emphatically. I think she has a lot of judgments at the beginning of the Felders without really understanding what they're going through, that, like, they're just not really trying hard enough. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if I got, like, the whole sense that she, not, not that she thought the mom was a cold mom and that was the cause of autism, right? Because mm -hmm. that was, like, what Bettelheim, like, proposed right. in, in his book, um, was that you were cold and so then you cause them to retreat. So I didn't get that sense as much as um, the sense that she just really felt like they could be doing a lot more um, mm -hmm. for her. So that was definitely clear, like why, you know, she should be able to be here. We could have friends and, you know, really her idea of a friend was not really what a true like friend is too. Mm -hmm. um, so her ideal was not... Um, possibly going to happen in the way that she wanted it to. But yeah, I think she eventually got to see how much the, um, the parents, the Felders cared about their daughter and how much effort it was taking, um, mm -hmm. but was, was a bit naive in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, but I wouldn't say she was ascribing to the, the um, refrigerator mom yeah. type of philosophy, but I can like, it was like, Oh, we'll just send her away kind of mm -hmm. idea and was, yeah, so I see that. I do. I think you're right that there's definitely not the causal thing there, but it did strike me that when the dad appears and Christy finds him to be this like totally lovable, like teddy bear of a guy. And then she's like, how could mm. Susan have come from this guy? But she doesn't like extend the same kind of courtesy or space to the mom, which is like mm -hmm. something we talk a lot about in the books is like how some moms mm -hmm. are, are like cool moms and fun moms and good moms. And then there are like a lot of moms that they're very, very judgy of. And I thought that this book was mm -hmm. kind of teetering on that line a bit between like, you know, I mean, ultimately, I think you're right, Winnie, that that Christy old comes to see kind of Mrs. Felder in this bigger sense and like have a broader understanding of kind of what her life is like and how it's challenging for her. But it takes her a minute to kind of get there, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Even when she has to go get her hair cut or like she had some sort of judgment, it sounded like underlying judgment of like, oh, she needed to go do this thing. And um, she really needed a spa day. She looked like yeah. she was anxious to get out of there. It's like, yeah. Yes. yeah she's, she's been listening to Mary and the Librarian for eight <laughs> hours. Like, up oh, for yeah. like three nights in a row because her daughter yeah. can't sleep. Yes. Yeah. 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 Let her get her hair cut, the poor thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also found it really interesting the description of Mr. Felder, mm -hmm. Emily. I'm glad you, you highlighted mm -hmm. that because we see so few dads yeah. in Stony Brook. They're like very largely absent a lot of the time. And I think that 
I'm wondering if Anna Martin actually put him in there to dispel some of these myths for the reader. Mm. Um, you know, she made it be like, you know, he's this jolly, awesome dude and like made him present to Christy in this way, even though he hadn't been before because he'd been working, she'd been there mid-afternoon. That sort of makes sense in the, you know, gender economics of 1990. Mm-hmm. And... um she, she it was almost to push against that further of like here's this gregarious warm individual like clearly they didn't do this this isn't their fault mm. like he was sort of as a prop to to go against that almost but you're right it does then cast mrs felder of like well i mean maybe mrs felder on her own could right. have done this but like clearly yeah yeah what else stood out to you whitney as a, in this snapshot from kind of the world of autism in 1990 like, how do you think she did for the time? And One thing that I found really fascinating was that she had the character with autism be a female. Mm-hmm. Because generally, it's a more male-dominated um, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. diagnosis. Uh, we're four to, four to one. Um, and so that, to me, was, was quite interesting that she did pick a female, um, since that's just more unique and even at that time was even more rare. So I found that interesting. I also, what stood out to me was there was, and I guess it didn't really stand out so much, but at the time, um, like ABA applied behavior analysis therapy was starting, not just starting, there were those types of therapies happening and that wasn't even addressed at all. It seems like there was no type of specific treatment that Susan had received. Um, And so that I found just to be an interesting component was that it was like, we tried the school that didn't work and now she needs to go to a special school, but they didn't really talk about the treatment Mm -hmm. as much. Um, and the other parts that really stood, I thought, I think I, I was actually impressed. I outlined some parts of it that they talked. I was like, oh, she's talking about sleep problems and autism mm-hmm. and eating problems and autism, feeding problems. Like those are really common com- comorbid conditions. So I was impressed by that. Um, I was also just impressed with the the parts in which she was like describing the behavior, like wringing the hands and the eye contact. I thought some of the descriptors of that type mm-hmm. of autism were pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, there were parts, you know, that we can get into that were inaccurate about just maybe not necessarily inaccurate, but less believable about how many skills she had before mm-hmm. and and what happened um but like at the time like in the 90s like the description of this uh, special day class that was pretty um apt what was happening in terms of school like inclusion wasn't really a thing um but we had IDEA and least restrictive environment those were things that were starting to be pushed in terms of school but kids were typically in a special day class there were less like special schools, like you'd often see more of the kids in a special day class than going to a, um, a special type of school like Susan was going to. Um, that was more prominent earlier on. Um, so I just thought, I thought the biggest thing was that she had a female um, and that they didn't even talk about any types of treatment services. So another part that was actually interesting was they talked about how language needed to be developed around age five. And that's still pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in terms of the literature of how important it is to, to develop verbal communication prior to the age of five. Um, and so she had definitely, it seemed, I was, I was impressed. I'm like, she's done some research on this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and tying it, they like hinted at schizophrenia and how like autism back in the day was um, subsumed under schizophrenia or thought of as childhood schizophrenia. So, and it wasn't that long before this, right? That that changed. This is 1990. No, yeah, because in the um, 80s it changed to be in DSM three. It changed to be its own diagnosis, autism. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was under. Uh, schizophrenia. Yeah. So diagnostic and statistical manual, Emily and Anne. Yes. Big, Sorry. Big <laughs> I actually know what the DSM is. We talk a lot about it in queer theory. Yes. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, so Anne. Yeah, yeah. Anne. Anne, um, hello. <laughs> Whitney, it didn't even strike me at all that she sees no kind of specialist the entire month she's at home until you just mentioned that. Like, I did not even pick up that and that that now that you point that out that makes a lot of sense like why would she be home between school and not like presumably she would be seeing someone or have I don't know something right and it's just she's just alone with her mom for a whole month like huh yeah it it was also you know that links to something that felt a little unbelievable to me which is I feel like they really didn't prepare Christy very well Um, And I have friends with children with autism. And when there's a new caregiver around, you have to spend a lot of time with them, helping them prepare for different things, for situations where she might engage in some self-harm, which comes up in the book or get overwhelmed or, you know, even telling her, like Christy just decides like, well, I'm going to put my hands on her hands and see if that will make her stop playing the piano, which could have gone really poorly, depending on Susan's particular coping strategies to deal with overstimulation or other things like that. And so, you know, Mrs. Braddock spends more time with Jesse and Matt than Mrs. Felder spent with Christy and Susan. And Matt is just deaf, you know, like he doesn't have any other problems. And so that really stuck out to me. I think that uh, my, my guess is that Anna Martin really wanted it to be from Christy's perspective and to sort of document her experience of understanding Susan and kind of uncovering who she is, but that seemed incredibly unrealistic to me, even for 1990. So did all of you read the, the paperback? Yeah. And by the one, only one, so I have the Kindle edition. So it has a letter from Anna Martin in the back. Oh. Um, so she says, uh, Christy and the Secret of Susan is based partly on my experiences as a therapist with autistic children during the summer I was in college. Um, while there was no real Susan Felder, I met a lot of kids like Susan and lots of families facing the same challenges Susan's parents face in the book. Autistic kids are very special, and I will always remember the kids I work with. So, inspired by real life. And that then she also sense. talks about how she wrote about Inside Out. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that book. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's from the point of view of an older brother whose younger brother has autism. Right. So it seems like it really, you know, impacted her. Yeah. Yeah. And I think later in the series, there's a, there's a character with Down syndrome as well. I mean, she was she's a big advocate for developmental disabilities in general. Yeah, I think, Esme, you're right. It was it was like 30 minutes of go go like orientation with her and no specific and she kept it was striking she's like she's not like three times she's like she's not violent she's just really 
stuck today, mm-hmm. right? And so she's like illuminating or like hinting at the restricted and repetitive behaviors, like getting stuck, not wanting to transition, but didn't like have any strategies of how this is how you can move her from this. It, it, and it seems my interpretation was mom doesn't have any strategies or know what to yeah. do and that it's really hard um, when she gets stuck on the piano, like how to move her away from that. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think, yeah, it was like Chrissy's perspective of how to kind of get in with her. Um, but yeah, that is true. She didn't give a very strong orientation. Um, and I would I would expect that there would be like, even if she's not violent, like having her hands touched or something out of the ordinary could have resulted in something. <laughs> well, I noticed that, that Christy touches her a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I thought... Mrs. Felder said she didn't like being touched. Didn't she say yeah, that? Yeah, she said that a couple times. Or, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember Chrissy like put her hands on her hands, have herself playing the piano, or like, you know, I was like, yeah. oh, I, I feel like that wasn't very realistic. Mm-hmm. Of what would really happen if Chrissy tried to do that? From my yeah. uh, from my uh, education for Rain Man, <laughs> yeah, it seems like it doesn't go well when uh, when Charlie Babbitt tries to stop exactly Rain Man from doing things physically. He doesn't exactly. Like yeah. I mean, who does mm-hmm. like that? <laughs> I know. Um, wait, so you said the savant type of autism is really rare. I, like, how how likely is it that she would be this like crazy piano? genius and have this the calendar memorizing thing or is that one kind of savant skill so there's different types of savant skills so then this got me now reading like papers about savant skills I was like doing some literature reviews early this morning just because I was curious to try to get a number a percent Mm -hmm. welcome Um, to my world Whitney yeah (laughs) I was really going down rabbit holes and I wasn't coming up with what I wanted to find but a lot of um what was interesting was it was saying more men than more men than women have savant skills, which I thought was interesting. I didn't know that. Um, and that the paper also said that individuals with an IQ less than 50 typically often do not have any savant skills. Um, and they kept describing her as an individual with um, an IQ less than 50. Um, but Often, too, they had her have two skills, right? The mathematics and uh, the musical um, skills, and which was incredible. I think it's it's rare to have one really high peak skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's even more rare than to have two um, peak mm-hmm. skills. But often it's in like music or art or rote memory um, is where you'll see the savant type skills. Often with autism, it's more like splinter skills or something that you're really good at above the general population. But even that is rare. Um, I have a kid who loves languages and he knows Russian and Spanish and English um, and can memorize all of them very quickly. Um, But I I haven't met, I haven't worked with many kids with these types of Mm -hmm. skills over my years. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that the the writers of Rain Man did the same thing, like that he also has more than one skill because he mm-hmm. memorizes every book that he reads and he can do the like instant large math problems and the card counting and all of that. And so and this really and that only came out about a year before this book. So it's really interesting to think about 
the influence that those two things had on people's, given that autism had only been separated in the DSM for a decade, mm-hmm. um, kind of what the world thought of autism um, and what, and like what it says, and Emily, I'd be interested in your take on this more like philosophically, structurally, what it says about our, I don't know, our interests as a population that we find most palatable this idea of like, well, you have this really super special, great thing. Also, there are these these problems and these deficits, yeah. but you're really magical in these other ways. So it's okay. Like that's how we tell the story yeah. instead of just some people's brains are different and affect how we communicate socially and they need some more help to be able to connect with people whose brains don't work that way. Like why it has to be that you're like, a superhero in some specific way for the story. And I told. think too, right. If, if like the goal on the part of the storyteller is to normalize a condition that has, you know, um, carried a, a stigma that comes with social ostracization and like, you know, not act like lack of access to basic things, right. Like community, um, maybe even basic needs, you know, for just survival, right? That like, mm-hmm. if if what our goal is, is to normalize that, then like to make these, to make these characters sort of otherworldly doesn't really seem to, to <laughs> meet that task very well. Um, but I do think it's interesting about like this question of kind of like, what's, what's the limit of sort of, um, like divergence that that we can value or kind of what's the mode of of difference that or, or what are the like criteria by which we can talk ourselves into valuing something that diverges from the norm right and if, if this, i think Whitney mm-hmm. how you described the condition at the beginning as a lack of skill rather than an added thing is exactly like what's so difficult socially right like how do we like mm-hmm. you know how do we tell a story about um ascribing value to something that's determined by a lack, right? That's like, we don't have language for that really in our like individualistic, you know, um, capitalist society that's all about like mixing your labor with something and like working hard, right? And it's like kind of interesting. Whitney has a kit kit, so we'll hire her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, doesn't have a, she doesn't have a lack of problematic behavior. She's got right. kit <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting. It's la- I said lack and as... I'm thinking about it too. It's I always describe it as lack and also inconsistency. Mm. And I think that's what's confusing, right? And maybe hard to describe um, in in literature or in movies or TV shows that it's these inconsistencies. So it's not always the same. And so you want to put people in buckets, but you can't because they it might be really good in this one this one domain, but then not so much in another. So like someone with autism that's extremely verbal, maybe can have really great reciprocal conversation about um, uh, ancient China or whales or anything that they really want to talk about and orcas, but then you're trying to talk about how you went, how I went backpacking and they don't want to talk to me about that. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, that I think is interesting. And as me, that's the whole thing back in this time was that whole like you have deficits but really amazing skills and that was just how it was all portrayed mm-hmm. in the media um and that's changed a lot more recently um yeah. but still it tends to be 
consistent way that it goes. I mean, and like, heaven forbid, we realize that like all of us are inconsistent, whether or not we have an intellectual disability. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm much less interested in whales than in Whitney's backpacking trip. Right. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Anne or Emily, did you have any other autism questions for Whitney? Oh, I did. I was interested that you said that the Susan's trajectory seemed, I don't know if you said that it was rare or like unlikely, but that like she had skills and then stopped developing them. What do we make of that, given that that's not generally how it goes? Is that another like Rain Man problem or? (laughs) Well, yeah, they were describing regression. Mm -hmm. So like getting autism by regressing in all of these different domains. And so you'll hear about, um, parents who talk about that their child regressed. And, and I do think that does happen. This seemed like a sub and often it could be a regression or like just plateauing of skills as kids get older. It looks like a regression, but it's just a plateau. Um, but this was a significant regression in that she was speaking in sentences and was potty trained, like toilet trained and um had eye contact and everything was on time and then it just disappeared and then like retreated into their own world. And that was kind of the theme that kept going on throughout the book of like, she's in our world and you need to unlock her. Um, And that trajectory just isn't very common. Typically it's that you're developing many milestones on time, especially um, gross motor milestones uh, just not the language and social communication milestones. So eye contact, um, social smile when you're little, you're not getting that. You're not getting uh, initiation of um, social games, peekaboo. You're not pointing. Those are the things that you notice is that all those lack of different types of behaviors. And so, uh, and then language tends to not develop or develop very slowly. So it was just an, kind of an opposite trajectory of what I typically mm-hmm. see. Um, Whitney wasn't this is going back as as listeners and Anna and Emily know I'm not an autism expert that's why you're here <laughs> I work with suicidal teenagers right. um non-developmental disabilities but wasn't there prior to DSM-5 wasn't there a like specific separate disorder outlined like childhood disintegration disintegrative disorder, disorder. Mm-hmm. yeah what an awful name okay yes. so the, and that was to describe this exact process yes right someone who I was tracking and then it disappears yep yeah 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 (sighs) that was before we acknowledged that autism was a spectrum yeah and we had all these different little names for things that really are not carving nature at its joints and that was one of them exactly yeah yeah it all just came back to me all of a sudden (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so that would have been I make that up that sounds like such a horrible name no yeah no it's a horrible name Well, I'm sure more questions will come up as we go, but I want to get to some of Emily's stuff. Before we do, though, I have to play my um, behaviorism card, uh, which shows up on page three in this book, which got me really excited. And I think reflects that summer that Anna Martin spent, where this is just Christy dispensing some general wisdom um, that I think is probably related to ABA and um, our view of positive reinforcement in the world. But she says with children or with anyone for that matter, it's much more helpful to tell them what to do instead of what not to do. Um, And so I really loved that as foreshadowing because this is before she even meets Susan. It's just her talking about how she interacts with her brothers and sisters. It's like, you're absolutely right, Christy. That is much more helpful. 
I loved that. And I had just talked to a parent earlier in the week when I was reading it about teaching them what to do. And so I don't know, I just was like, this is amazing. <laughs> it's like, great job, Christy. Yeah, yeah. I, I came to this book <laughs> thinking it was going to be much, much worse and more outdated than it is. And I was like, oh, so it's, this is not actually super, super problematic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Christy, Christy, Christy. All right, Emily, what's up? Um, I just have a lot of little things that I picked up in this book. Um, little yeah, nuggets. Little At least nuggets. <laughs> Yuck. Um, on page 18, Christy is making fun of the books that Janine reads. And she says, for pleasure, Janine reads stuff like Atomic Theory or The History of Lawmaking in America, which is not a real book. <laughs> I like to say, <laughs> but I was trying to think about like what book would Janine have been reading that would have been like something like the history of lawmaking in America, and I was like, maybe maybe she could have been reading Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States because that came out mm-hmm. the first version of that came out in 1980, but then I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. know, do we think she's like a lefty? Probably not, no, right? Because she's also wants I to be a physicist, disinterested. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know what book yeah. she was reading. That's the conclusion I drew. <laughs> um, okay. We also get in Stacy's description. N- not. I knew you were gonna. Know not this. just because she's a math whiz, but this time she just straight up loves money. Yeah. Yeah. That's been showing up more and more lately. But like, <laughs> it's so weird. I think that's the first time it's been said so blatantly. Yeah, like in that way. Stacy loves money and she's yeah. a math whiz. Like, yikes. Okay. Um We we used to say that about Anne when she was a kid. Yeah. Anne would listen to like, things she likes were like the color purple, pigs, candy, and money. Well Aaron, but just, Aaron too. Do you remember? She used to like hoard all any like people could pay her a dollar well, to do anything what, and she know, would like keep her money forever. That's why she's by yeah, a second. I think, house. But that's what it evolved into. It involved into like enjoying money as like the idea of money and now as an adult it's just like i must hoard all my money so you know i can afford retirement someday i don't know if stacy's i don't think stacy's like stacy likes to shop though we know this she does um i bet she doesn't shop with her own money though i bet she spends her parents money now she's got some like dad guilt going on to Mm -hmm. you know buy her some clothes since he's off in new york okay And then on page 62, when the girls are making fun of Mal for having a crush on Ben, Claudia teases her by asking, is he thrifty, honest, clean, hardworking, and considerate of old ladies? And then Mal dreamily replies, yes. Like, is this what, like, the ideal man is? (laughs) Like, (laughs) in 1990? I... I think she's, it's like a list of Boy Scout attributes. Right? Like, I think she's being like goofy and funny. Yeah. Um, um, but Mal doesn't notice because she's off in her like dream world. Of yeah. Love. But I'm just like, cl- the fact that clean is on there really cracks me up. Like hardworking, blah, blah. We get it. This is like, you know, capitalism Wahoo series. But like clean, first of all, shouldn't, I mean, don't you want most people to be clean? I don't know. Like, what, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah, it's weird. Also, uh, thrifty again. He's thrifty. Like, why is yeah? Why is that a treat? I, I think thrifty is part of the like Boy Scout pledge. Or oh, whatever, was it back in the day? Yeah, well, I think okay. so. Um, 
And then the last thing I'm a Girl Scout like Whitney. The last thing I noticed was on page 76, um, Stacy is babysitting uh, Christy's kids and they're playing Let's All Come In. And uh, (laughs) she's describing the game. Christy's describing the game. And she says, another person, usually David Michael, has to be the bellman, in parentheses, bell person? (laughs) And I was like, question mark i was like well i don't think it's a like is she really trying like does it need to be gender neutral like is that what motivates the question mark or is it like i don't know what this is called am i getting it wrong i thought that was very fascinating also for 1990 isn't it bellhop like bellhop seems gender neutral to me yeah but so she gets it wrong. <laughs> I never heard anyone say Me either. Yeah, actually, you're right. But I think she just... So that's what I was wondering. Does she just, like, get it wrong altogether? Like, she doesn't know what it's called. Yeah. So it's not a, a move oh, I think for it's gender parody. Message. I think it is. I think it is. I think Anna Martin st- sticks in those little things for gender parody wherever she can. Oh, this could be one of the questions you ask her if you ever. Yes. Anna yeah. Martin, I'm very concerned about what we're supposed to learn by the replacement of Bell Man with Bell Page person. 76. <laughs> also, why is Logan such a dick? Yeah. Why is Logan yeah. such a dick? <laughs> yeah, and then I didn't even write on my list that Christy praises Logan for getting Marianne, but I already said it, so. Right. Yeah, and then just a prediction. I think the the um what are their names? The yeah, Hobarts? I think they're going to be hot when they're when they grow up. <laughs> All four of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. As where do they go on the Bart Taylor uh, trajectory of well, hotness? TBD because they're eleven. The oldest one's eleven, so I don't know. But Ben seems pretty cool for an eleven-year-old. Yeah. He's worldly. Yeah, he's worldly. He's been to Australia. I love that you draw the line. Like you can't say that Ben Hobart is hot, but you have no problem saying Bart Taylor is hot. He's also 13 years well, old. Well, that's because, as we, I don't know if you know this, but the first time I read these books, I was a child. <laughs> okay. Okay, fair enough. Um, oh, yeah, those man. are all my nuggets from this book. Those are those are some the good nugs. Yeah. nugs. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of the Hobarts, what yeah. take us away from autism and into the world of sexy Australian imports? <laughs> sure. Hot. Yeah. So the new neighbors are the Hobarts. They're from Australia, which got me thinking. Why did they move from Australia to Stony Brook? Mm-hmm. Probably like a business situation, like a work transfer or something. Yeah, Stanford, man. Everybody needs to work in Stanford. Apparently, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So there's a lot of Crocodile Dundee references, which maybe so many. And it's kind of like like Crocodile Dundee. Okay, so Crocodile Dundee was a movie. Emily, have you seen it? What do you think? No, you have not seen it. Whitney, what year were you born? I think you're between 1983. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so, so smack in the middle of the, of, of the yeah. three of us. Yeah. Well, Crocodile Dundee came out in 1986. Um, and it was like a huge hit, like such so just like so popular. Um, but the, the premise of the movie is very strange. And I tried, I, I tried to rewatch it over the weekend 
And I didn't get through all of it. Not because it isn't good. I just didn't I didn't have time. I like but... how in preparing for this week you watched Rain Man and Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was very important. Yeah. There was a lot of work that had to be done for I us. Know. You know, Whitney was doing the literature reviews, but Anna right. stepped up to do yeah. the important right. background research. So the premise of the movie is basically a New York, a female New York reporter who works for Newsday uh, goes to Australia to write a story about this Bushman named Michael J. Crocodile Dundee. And <laughs> Like, she goes there, and it's, like, ridiculous. Um, and so she travels around with him in, like, northern Australia. And along the way, he shows, like, all the cool things he can do. Which, in fact, in the book, I think, uh, Jordan says, Crocodile Dundee can do all kinds of neat things. I hope the Hobars are like Crocodile. So among them are just, like, having, like, mind melds with animals. Like he encounters a, a huge water buffalo and he like subdues it with like some sort of like speaking, like some sort of like uh, wordless. Whitney, is that a autistic savant uh, quality? Is that one that you would see a lot among the savant population of yeah. people with autism? Water buffalo I don't, mind melts? No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Just checking. Just checking. Um, you know, he like kills some snakes he saves some kangaroos uh he saves a reporter from a crocodile attack whoa so and then so the whole movie is just like following him around watching him be a badass yeah pretty much (laughs) he's like you know he's very charming uh is he hot and then you know um well let's let's text emily a picture of paul hogan (laughs) I think he's supposed to be hot, but he's not, not really. Not really. But, you know, there's a love story going on between him and the reporter. And the reporter brings him back to New York City to finish the story. And there he has similar experiences, except it was like New York type thing. So he like, you know, uh, like there's some robbers and he like, you know, gets out of the situation. He encounters some pimps, also gets out of that situation. Then at the end of the in movie, the bush, basically. No, this is in Manhattan. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, when he comes back, got it, when got he goes it, back, yeah. Um, Emily and Whitney, I just texted you a picture of Paul Hogan as crocodile. <laughs> yeah, Paul Hogan today. If you'd like right. to look at him and see what you think of his hotness, he's very tan. <laughs> yeah, but leathery. leathery. Yeah, leathery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> leathery. He's very leathery. Um, <laughs> Emily's face. <laughs> <laughs> no. This is not. He's not as hot as I want him to be. Yeah. Right. Well, he's very charming, though. Okay. Very charming. So at the end of the movie, him and the reporter fall in love. That's kind of just basically the summary of the movie. But it's interesting that I really do think Adam Martin made the whole recipe from Australia because of this movie. <laughs> because there was like there was like sequels to this movie. It was just like everywhere. Um. And, you know, like how in our last episode, we were talking about how talk shows provided a platform for like queer people, queer people. Some, you know, some Australian critics were like hated the movie. They thought it portrayed Australians in a horrible manner. But some people were like, wow, this is a great ad for Australia. It really put Australia on the map. And mm-hmm. to be honest, 
I can't think of any other movie that I associate with Australia except for this movie. I didn't know anything about Australia. I don't know if I knew what Australia was before. I mean, we were eight when it came out. It's yeah. Like Crocodile Dundee and the Babysitter's Club. That's all there was. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So Hobart's, we can thank Crocodile Dundee for the Hobart's. I wonder if she also put it in there because, I mean, I mean, I know we have a lot of Australian listeners to the podcast and I know the books were really popular sort of across the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, English speaking world. So I mm-hmm. wonder if she also, this is one of those situations where Anna Martin put them in there because kids were reading it a lot in yeah. Australia and she wanted to give them some connection to it. Well, we also, I didn't mention, but there's this kind of funny thing, recurring thing where there's an obvious kind of parody or Christie sees an obvious sort of parallel between Susan's social ostracism and the way the Hobarts are getting treated by their neighbors and kids at school. Mm -hmm. And then you have just have this recurring bit where Jesse's like, Hey, hello. Like people in this town are fucking racist. Like you're sorry. You're getting made fun of for your accent. Like you're still white. Like what the, (laughs) but like that never really Mm -hmm. gets addressed. She's just like, uh, I'm also here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like, (laughs) right. I know yeah. a thing or two about people in Stony Brook not being welcoming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's also interesting that their their dialogue is not written phonetically like the other people in Stony Brook who have accents. I know. It was a really missed opportunity for us to make you read it. <laughs> I know. I'm kind of glad. <laughs> um, but I like to say a little game. Uh, I'm going to throw out some Yay. Australian slang for you okay. guys because they use some of it in the book. So let's, I'm going to start with the things they use in the book. They're pretty easy. Start with brekkie. Breakfast. Breakfast. Okay. <laughs> Lolly. Lollipop. It's like a general term for candy. Lolly. Oh. Sweet. oh. Okay. Fairy floss. Is that cotton candy? Yes. Oh. Okay. Okay. Go into some other easier ones. These okay. get increasingly more difficult. Okay. 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 Barbie. <laughs> Barbecue. Barbecue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sheila. Chick. Mm-hmm. Woman. <laughs> Crikey. Jesus Christ. Oh, jeez. Yeah. This is like an explanation. <laughs> okay. Stubby. Fat. <laughs> no. Cigarettes? <laughs> Whitney, do you have a guess? Uh, stubby? Short? No. It's a bottle of beer. <laughs> what? Oh, I knew that one. Yeah. It's the little one. Oh, like a red yeah. stripe? But like okay. in some Australian beer that we don't have. I like how Emily went from being fat to like, oh, I know that one. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> okay. Um, Mozzie. Can, can you spell that please? M-O-Z-Z-I-E. Mozzarella cheese. No. Mosquito. Oh, damn it. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, these ones are pretty hard. Okay. Maybe you'll get this one. Grease frisbee. Cheeseburger. It is a food. Pancake? Pizza. Pizza. It's pizza. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Maybe it looks sense. disturbed. <laughs> okay. Makes this sense, one's... though. Yeah. Yeah. This one's really funny. Veggie smugglers. This is... I know this one. Uh, It's a Speedo. Yeah. It's like... It's like tight... Tight underwear. It's like a banana hammock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A veggie yeah. is a bird. <laughs> it looks like a parrot. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god like that's what they think it is like banana hammock makes a lot more sense <laughs> yeah what is yeah i don't understand that like the analogy we'll there. have to have okay. a listener explain it to us yeah yes okay then the last one is dingo's breakfast 
a baby. Because <laughs> you remember that, like, the dingo ate my baby? That, like, <laughs> yeah. anyway. that was a real no, thing that happened. Like, a, some, a baby was yes. killed. <laughs> yes, it was. There's a great You're Wrong About episode about the dingo ate mm. my baby, if you're interested. Yes. Wow. Um, it's, it's if you didn't eat breakfast. I had a dingo's breakfast. Oh, because they're scavengers all the time. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's clever. That's yeah, clever. clever. Okay. They have an... In, okay, also fun fact about Crocodile Dundee, they had two versions of the movie. One that had, like, all the slang... Australian slang and one that was for everyone else. Oh, they just mm. left it like shrimp on the Barbie. Mm-hmm. That was like Scottish. Or like, not do an Australian accent. Or like, <laughs> whatever. Shrimp on the Barbie. That's how I said it. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Can any one of you do an Australian accent? No. I'm no. Matt can do a really good one. No. Though. Uh, yeah. But he says New so Zealand is more fun. Yeah, that's what Gary says too. They probably both sound like shit. They just think they sound good. Matt's, no, Matt had a boss for years who was Australian. Her name is Megan. Uh, okay. Megan. Megan. Mm-hmm. Um, and they worked every, like, he can do a, a really, really good impersonation yeah. of her. It's quite creepy. But she does rhyming slang. So she'll, like, when she would, like, step out of the office to go for a walk, she'd say, I'm going to st- take a, a sticky beak at this new coffee shop or something, which means like take a peek at it. Mm. I don't know. Mm. It's like wow. all kinds of things. I'll, I'll have to ask you right. for some good ones. We're going to get a lot of emails. Sorry. I know. Sorry. Australia. And if I like somehow offended any Australians yeah, out there, I'm very sorry. It's not yeah. At least we didn't call you a croc like the poor homo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can kind of just do um, it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Emily did. <laughs> um, they also mentioned how the Hogwarts were swashes, mm-hmm. like Esme. One of Very Esme's exciting. one of Esme's key personality mm-hmm. traits, right? <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, and then lastly, a new candy is introduced into Claudia's candy corner: Mentos. Yes, and like not only does she is it introduced, she says it like ten times within the span <laughs> of like two pages. Yeah, and. I would have Esme or I sing the Mentos jingle, but we'll spare our listeners. Yeah, it's a well, we we talked about it a little bit before we signed on, and it's like a it's got a very wide range of notes. I wish <laughs> like, I would have. Yeah. don't want to hear us secretly sing it. recording you while you did it before. Yeah, missed opportunity. No, I'm glad you were not. <laughs> no one needs that. No. And then. Uh, well, in the beginning, uh, Christy kind of talks about the kinds of snacks she has, which are, let's see, Christy says Twinkies and Oreos, bags of chips and candy, and then Mentos, as I just said. But because there's a mention of Twinkies. Finally. They disappeared <laughs> for like five books. I know. <laughs> the time has come. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, Drum roll, asked. please. <laughs> So I sent her a box of them a while ago, and she's never tasted one. Can you believe <gasps> what? it? No. Yes. See, <laughs> I when mean, he's appropriately offended as well, and take some screenshots. Oh yeah. <laughs> Why are you so nervous, Emily? What do you think? I gonna think it's going to taste gross, and I won't want it in my mouth. <laughs> okay, a little, some little. I don't know. I'm pretty envious right now. How about how about you, Anne? Yeah. 
I would like a Twinkie. Whitney, what's your opinion on Twinkies? Okay, I will. Okay, first, I, I like, used to I like Twinkies. I don't know the last time I've had one. Middle school. Emily, before you eat it, I need you to clear your mind of any negative feelings you have about the Twinkie. Because you got to get this Twinkie a fair yeah, shot. It's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, like, didn't even try. I haven't eaten I mean, yet. you need to, like, the first bite, you're not going to, you need the white part. Like, yeah. Okay. You need to so you like almost really like break it and or then break it in half. Meat. Yeah, good call, Whitney. Break it in half. <laughs> we knew we had you on yeah. here for a reason, Doctor. Yes. <laughs> like the inside looks so gross. No, it's great. Okay, I'm gonna take a bite. Mm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, very gross. Why? What don't you like about it? Oh, actually. It's better to tell people what you do like than what you don't like. What, what's one thing you do like about it? I can't think of one. <laughs> wow. That's just like straight sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I will not be finishing this Twinkie. Oh, man. It's like harder than I thought it would be. What? <laughs> harder? Yeah. Is like the cake like- part? Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was kind of anticlimactic. Listen, that was sorry anticlimactic. About that. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to do there's it. There's some tallies in this book. So I did not count the number of times they used the t- term retarded because I didn't want to. But obviously that's in our that's in our outdated social justice corner. Um, Christy's pretty balanced in how she describes everybody. We get one shy, one sensitive, one health food, a couple sophisticated. And then again, almond shaped eyes has really overtaken exotic. I'm, I'm wondering if exotic is dying out, which is, I, I think, better. I don't know. Is it better, Anne? It seems slightly less fetishizing, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, you have a you have an oriental dress in your closet. So. <laughs> there are some big cherry blossoms on one of my shirts, like tunics that Anne is is has has Anne has called the O word PS that I did not use. So so what about weirdest lines what did you all have for um weird lines this is not a weird line and it would not be suitable for a title but i really liked vanessa's poem on page 47 about her shoe it goes do do what can i do i've lost my sock and i've lost my shoe um but my favorite part is that claire says you haven't and she's like i know i didn't lose my shoe i was just making a poem (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty good did you did you have any shorter ones um i guess we could um title the episode you have not <laughs> okay how about you whitney what line stood out to you oh i highlighted because i it made me just feel sad but the amazing dumbo who can sing but not talk just how yeah. they were yeah we didn't even like using her part. yeah oh yeah that was a whole bad situation hoping mm-hmm. that she was making Susan friends and kids right. were yeah. paying to see her like a circus sideshow. That was yeah. really sad. I actually yeah. think that was the darkest moment of all the babysitters club books so far. I yeah. agree. Yeah. I do think that there's not been anything as dark as that. Cause even the racism that Jesse has experienced so far has been pretty everyday racism. Um, it's not good, but it's not, it doesn't have that sort of like twinge of evil that, that, Zach Wolfson charging to see Susan has. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. an update for you. I already have a stomach ache. <laughs> <Yeah>. because, uh, 
the amazing Dumbo or because, because of the of Twinkie? The Twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you? Um, mine actually has to do with the Mentos. When body it just says, what's up, Mento? Nice. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's I don't have anything uh great. I, I liked Bob or Craig. Um, when mm-hmm. Christy didn't know their, their, um, pseudonym, but I, mm-hmm. I just want to, I want to like, what's up Mento is fantastic. I want to nominate chapter 15 for one of the best chapters in any babysitter's club book we've read so far. Um, it's this whole scene with Claudia and Christy. I think it's more in-depth Claudia than we've seen in a little while mm-hmm. where Christy shows up and she's picking the lock, not because she's locked out, but because she wants to see if you could really do it with a bobby pin like Nancy Drew does for her like future mm-hmm. crime solving skills, which I, I love because Claudia is supposed to be all sophisticated, but it really does show that like crossroads of 13, you know, where she's still like, but maybe someday I'll need to solve a crime like Nancy Drew does, even as mm-hmm. she's like the coolest kid in school and all interested in boys and stuff. And, and then her discussing Susan's situation with Christy in this way of like two really old friends that understand each other I just think is like Mm -hmm. we get a lot of really good Claudia and a lot of really good Christy in that chapter also who who hasn't tried to pick a lot of the body is that just me I am everyone has no no No. okay So we've got I, two yeses and two no's. I'm a yes. Oh, you're so three yeses and one no. Yeah. So just yeah, just me. <laughs> you're missing out when you have the whole afternoon ahead of you. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I need to go do. Way to spend a Sunday. <laughs> All right. It, it so doesn't. It, with... it doesn't work. Yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> I think it depends on the kind of lock. I bet it works on like some old 1920s locks that Nancy was picking. True. I think Maybe. you also yeah. like. The, you have to have a different pin than the bobby pin because the plastic on the end like impedes its ability to like effectively work mm-hmm. through the mechanism mm-hmm. good tips good tips let us know yeah. listeners <laughs> yeah. do you have a lock that you can pick with a bobby pin send us a picture um okay so are we going with what's up mentos or are we going with amazing dumbo let's do yeah sad, let's right? do mentos yeah Okay. It's, it's just it's just Mento. I noticed that okay. when they just refer to one piece of Mentos. They she calls it Mento. Yeah. yeah. Which I don't know if that's correct or not. A Mento. Yeah. Mm. A Mento. Right, because they're not. It's like Mentos, right? It's not like yeah. Mento. Mentosis. Do you want? Which sounds like a Mento. That sounds like a disease. But I think it, if you say yeah. a single singular Mentos, sounds weird. Give me one Mentos. Give me a Mentos. Give me a, give how, me a Mento. You say Mento. I've never no. heard you say give me a Mentos. <laughs> no. If somebody works for the Mentos Corporation, yes. can you please let us know how to refer to your product? In the singular <laughs> and the plural, just to be clear. Okay. Whitney, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was so fun. I learned so much. Is there anything that you're working on now? Where can listeners find you on the internet? Um if you want stalkers, yeah. You know, where, yeah. You where's you your plug. home address? Plug. Um, <laughs> so, so, so damn it, man! Number. I was gonna say that. Uh, <laughs> let's just give it all out. <laughs> um, no, um, I, there's nothing specific I want to plug. Um, I'm at UCSF, and I just love working with all of my families. And uh, except for Esme, yeah. <laughs> she's talking about patients and children. Patience. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm um, actually surprised you guys went this long without asking her what it's like to work with me, but that's good. Can- I mean, we already know. We basically yeah. work with you yeah. on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just, I'm very thankful for all the families that have let me into their lives over the years. And I just can't wait until I can be in person with yeah, them I bet. again. Yeah. Hopefully soon. We got to get yeah. those kid kid vaccines working. Yes. Yeah. Get the general population of parents vaccinated as quickly as exactly. possible. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay. So right. now we've come to the pizza toast, or should I say the Reese Krispie toast? Yes. Oh. <laughs> so I feel like we either usually choose to be very genuine about our pizza toast or we tend to be kind of joking. This is true. Did you have a proposal or you're just stating a fact about our I am podcast? stating a fact. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Anyone have a have a proposal for a pizza toast? I mean if we wanted to do an earnest one, we could ask Whitney for a suggestion about the right language to pizza toast to dedicate a pizza toast to the community of individuals with autism or we could pizza toast or to the hot yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really the only two options as i see it i i feel like we'll get more of the hot parts later like they're gonna stay in stony brook whereas this is susan's only detour right she's she's moving off to her new music school so maybe we should keep it in the autism wheelhouse why don't we just pizza toast to Susan? Oh, Esme's gonna cry. Yeah. I cried the last three chapters of this book <laughs> all time. I missed. Did you guys cry? We didn't talk about this before we pizza toast. Who else cried? I, I cried a bit. There was there was one part where I got a little emotional, but I forget what part it was. <laughs> I was to mark. I was. I got sad when they were talking about. Like I, I really appreciated, and I think I got sad when they were trying to get her to go to the school so she can like be really, like they were. I loved that the parents were trying to get her to be such a good pianist, right? So really um, valuing her strength. So mm-hmm. that was what I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. then how sad they were to see her yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the parents um, really murdered me. Um, I cried a lot at that. And then mm-hmm. I cried like through that perfect chapter of Claudia and Christy. That was what also really killed. Yeah. It was like chapters 13 through 15. I was just mm-hmm. like a mess. <laughs> a mess. All right. So to Susan, or did you have another suggestion? I, I would say to Susan, or I just really appreciate Christy's like crusade to try to get her fully, like just mm-hmm. get her included. But it's also related to like their relationship really i thought was yeah. sweet yeah i liked that moment at the end where she's like wherever you are <laughs> i hope you're settling in <laughs> yes <laughs> so to susan and inclusion Great. it almost rhymes Ooh, i like that okay all right and a pizza toast to susan and inclusion to, to susan, susan and inclusion <laughs> this episode of stuck in stony brook is now adjourned thank you to anna and martin for everything Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. 
Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for.